Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. This morning, I want to begin by putting a word up on the screen And in just a moment, when you see this word, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to answer out loud, okay? But in your heart and in your mind, I want you to think about what comes to mind when you see this word. You ready? Here's the word. Coach. Coach. Now, some of you, when you think about a coach, you hear that word and you have no reaction at all. You didn't grow up playing sports. Athletics was not your thing. So you don't have a lot of interaction with a coach. And so you just, not really much at all kind of surfaces when you see the word coach. For others of you that are sitting here, you see that word and there's some of you thinking about the person that has had the greatest impact on your life of any other person. Some of you see that word and you're taken back to a coach that was in your life playing some sport and that coach just tremendously impacted you. Like like there's a a man in our fellowship by the name of Jim Wright. I don't know if Jim's in this service or not, but Jim was the head coach of swimming and diving for over 35 years at UNLV and won multiple championships. And I've met so many swimmers through the years who've talked about the impact that Jim Wright has had on their life. That kind of a coach. For some of you, that's what you think about when you see the word coach. Others of you, you see that word and you've begun to sweat with anxiety just sitting here this morning because you didn't have a coach like Coach Jim that I described. You had a coach that just created all kind of like the high school football coach that I had. And when I played high school football, I thought my high school football coach was insane. He would literally from Monday through Friday cuss us out up one side and down the other. We'd play the game Friday night, win or lose. We'd all come in the field house. He'd say hit a knee and he'd start leading us in the Lord's prayer. And I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? So when I think about that coach, it stirs anxiety in my heart because I can remember the times he would grab me by the face mask and just scream into my face. That's the word coach, we all have different experiences when we think about it, but our personal experience doesn't change the general principle about what a coach is. A coach is a person who teaches and trains. You may or may not have had a good or bad experience with a coach in your life, but our personal experience doesn't change the reality that in principle, the principle of a coach is a good thing. If you get that, say amen. Amen. You say, why are you talking to us about coaching? I'm setting you up. (laughs) Because I want to put another word on the screen this morning. Here's the second word I want to give you. 
deacon. Some of you, when you see that word, you have no reaction at all. Some of you this morning, seeing that word, you've come to know Jesus here at Hope, and all you know about church is what you've learned here. And so that might as well say Martian to some of you, because you've never heard us use that term before. So some of you have no reaction at all when you, when you see that word. It's just a neutral term. Some of you see that word, and you do have a reaction. You know, one of the beautiful things about our fellowship is our cultural diversity. We have 44 languages that we know of spoken in our fellowship. There's a lot of different cultures represented here, and because of that, there are a lot of cultural expressions of the gospel that have been brought into our fellowship. And when you get a lot of cultures together, and they're worshiping Jesus and doing church together, there's often some conflict because we all bring cultural expressions of church into one setting together. And one of the places where in church ministry from different cultures, there's a lot of diversity is around this idea of a deacon. And so some of you have grown up in a church culture or had experience with deacon that has been a wonderful thing. Some of you have had experiences with deacons that have not been wonderful things. I, in my lifetime, have had experiences on both sides. I'll give you a couple of examples. My dad, I've told you before, I'm a, uh, my mom and dad were first-generation Christians, meaning that my mom and dad's parents were not Christians. So my mom and dad were both led to Christ by other people. The man that first began to introduce my dad to Christ. My dad lived in a neighborhood in Florence, Alabama. And across the street from him lived a deacon of a Baptist church there in that town. And when my dad was 11 or 12 years old, this deacon from this Baptist church in Florence, Alabama started talking to my dad about Jesus, started inviting my dad to church, and he and his wife would pick my dad up as a little boy and carry him to church with them. And it was that relationship with that deacon that led my dad to faith in Jesus Christ that ultimately is what introduced me to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm very thankful for deacons that love Jesus and are committed to the Word of God. But I've also had the other experience. The first church I pastored when I was 23 years old, after three and a half years, myself and our entire staff team were asked to leave by a group of deacons that thought it was their job to run the ministry. So I understand both sides of that. So some of you come in and you see that word and some of you think, oh man, deacon, I love that word. I've been ministered to and blessed. By... And some of you think, oh my goodness. For some people, it's almost like a word of profanity to even use the word in church. But here's what I want you to understand. Our experience doesn't change the fact that in principle, God gave us the ministry of deacon for something very good. I want to read you a definition that our pastors have been working on for months. For months as pastors, we have been examining and exploring, is it the right time for us to now introduce the ministry of deacon here at Hope? And we believe that it is. And so this weekend and next weekend, we're going to be talking about this in a lot of ways that I think are going to bring some clarity for us as a fellowship as we launch this here but I want to give you a definition of what a deacon is as we define it here at Hope. Deacons are servants set apart to meet needs 
within the body of Christ. Let's read that definition out loud together. Servants set apart to meet needs within the body of Christ. And the way we're going to begin to unpack this as a fellowship is we are going to go to a place in Scripture that I believe is where the principle of deacon ministry was born. We're going to look in the early church, Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Now, we cannot dogmatically say that these were the first deacons because in actuality, it never calls them deacons. But the root word for the word deacon that was ultimately what was called this office in the church is used three different times in the verses that I'm about to read for you. In Acts chapter 6, I believe what we find is the principle of this role in the church is born and it later became an office that was carried out in the New Testament church. So Acts chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse number 1. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to put these verses up on the screen so that you can follow along. Here's what it says. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Let me just say here before we go past this, there's a modern trend out there today that's called multicultural expressions of the church and it's kind of viewed like a style of church that there's traditional church, contemporary church, multicultural church. But understand that from the beginning in the book of Acts, the church has always been multicultural. We drifted erroneously from that. But from the beginning, when the gospel took expression in Jerusalem, it's always... And one of the first issues that arose here was because of cultural differences that were being fleshed out here in the church. So it's always been multicultural. Number Verse 2. So the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That's where I believe that the ministry of deacon was born in the New Testament church. And as you read the progression of the church from this point forward, it became a regular practice in the church. So what I want to do is give us a lot of foundation today And then next weekend, we're going to come back and give some specifics about how we're going to flesh this out here at Hope. But I want to do it by asking three questions this morning about this passage of Scripture. Here's the first one. What was happening in the church? As we read this story from the early church, what was taking place? Well, there were really two things that was happening. Number one, the church was growing. 
the church in Jerusalem was exploding with growth. You've got to remember the context of what we're reading here in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. We're now only a few weeks, maybe a couple of months removed from Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us that the church was 120 people in a small upper room. You imagine how cozy and quaint that was? Just 120 people in an upper room. Everybody knew everybody's name. Everybody knew who everybody's family was. 120 people in an upper room. And then the Spirit of God moved in Acts chapter 2. And on their first public worship Sunday, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. So now their little group of 120 became 3,120. The church was growing. And then the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, look at this. I like this, this, this point. He says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church was growing. And notice this. God doesn't just move on Sunday. Day by day, people, listen, if we're only seeing people saved on Sunday, something's not right about how we're doing ministry in Las Vegas. You should be leading people to Christ on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. And then we come together on Sunday to celebrate what God's done during the week as the Spirit of God is using us in our business, at our schools, in our neighborhoods to share the gospel and see people born again into relationship with Christ. So the church is growing. People are being saved at their services. People are being saved during the week. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 that on their second public worship gathering, so many people got saved, all they could do was count the men, and it was 5,000 just men. So they're two weeks in, and their little group of 120 is now over 20,000 people. Acts chapter 4 tells us, or Acts chapter 5 says that, the, that more believers in the Lord, multitudes were constantly being added. So, so now look back at chapter 6, verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, uh, you think so? They're 8 or 10 weeks in, and they've gone from 120 to thousands. God was on the move, accomplishing His mission. And listen, that should not surprise us. You do remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We should not be shocked when the Spirit of God does what he said he is going to do. When God begins to move and people begin to be saved and the church begins to grow and the city begins to be impacted and the kingdom begins to expand... That's what he said he was going to do. And what a blessing to be a part of a church like that. But that's not all that was happening here. The church was not only growing, the church was experiencing growing pains. People say, man, church is growing, Pastor. Well, that's a great problem. Yeah, but the word great doesn't negate the word problem. It is a great problem. But there's still problems with a growing church. When God's on the move and His mission's being accomplished, there are challenges. And the Bible tells us here that a, look at it in verse 1, a complaint 
arose. The word complaint is a Greek word that means grumbling, murmuring, or discontent. Surely this never happens in a growing church. You're telling me a church is growing, people are being saved, lives are being changed, and people were complaining? The problem with a growing church is that there are more people in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus. Emphasis on more people in the process. Meaning they haven't arrived yet. Meaning the more imperfect people you put in the same space at the same time, That is a recipe for challenges. If there's just two or three imperfect people, we can kind of manage that. When you got two or three hundred or two or three thousand or twenty or thirty thousand, which is what they had here, don't be shocked. Don't let it catch us off guard. If you're looking for a church without problems, let me let you in on a secret. It doesn't exist. And if you think you found it, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Let me give you the leadership pipeline for the church in Jerusalem. Jesus himself spent three and a half years training the leaders. And they had problems. If Jesus himself can devote three and a half years to raising up the leadership and the church still has problems, we just better get used to problems. Two things about this situation that they were complaining about. Here's here's what had surfaced this. Number one, the people, some people were being overlooked. Doesn't that just make sense? I mean, church is growing. Doesn't it make sense that that's going to happen? All these people coming together, it's growing rapidly. The Bible says in, in verse chapter 6, verse 1, that because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. The word overlooked is a, a compound word. that It's two words put together. It's the idea of looking and the idea of beyond. They were looking beyond them. They were overlooking them. They were missing them. And it's something that was happening repeatedly the way this is constructed in the Greek language. It didn't just happen once. One time they said, I'm no big deal. But now over and over and over and over. And you add the cultural dynamic. One culture felt like, hey, we're being overlooked because it's our culture. You don't understand our culture. So one culture is now complaining against the other culture that some people are being... Here's the bottom line. Because of the growing number of people in their fellowship, there were needs that were not being met. People were being overlooked. Let me tell you the second thing that was happening. The pastors were overwhelmed. Pastors are people. And in this early expression of the church, it developed into other things later on, but in this early expression of the church, the apostles were actually the ones bringing pastoral leadership and vision and wisdom to this fellowship. They were the ones teaching the Word of God. So here were these 12 apostles who'd been trained by Jesus themselves, and yet they were still becoming overwhelmed. They were becoming overwhelmed because one of the great 
enemies for pastors is the same enemy for anybody who's in leadership. It's the battle of good versus best. And the pastors found themselves meeting a lot of good needs. Did these widows need to be taken care of? Absolutely. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. It's a good thing. But the pastor said, wait a minute. We have a priority that God's given us, and we're spending so much time doing good things that we're missing the very best thing that God's given us that we're supposed to be about. Well, what was the thing they were supposed to be about? Well, look at it in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. They said, we will devote. The word devote is a word that means stay here. We're going we're to camp out here. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, i got to be honest, it wasn't until I studied this over the last couple of months, really even in the last 10 days, that I saw what I'm about to share with you. Let me tell you how I put that verse back up there for a minute. Let me tell you how I heard this verse for much of my ministry life. Here's what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. I'm supposed to devote myself to pray so that I can minister the Word. Don't say amen yet, because that's not what it says. You see, every English translation, I think, misses an important piece of the Greek construction of this sentence. You see where it says, the ministry of the word? Well, that definite article also precedes the word prayer. We will devote ourselves to the prayer... And the ministry of the word. So here it's not referring to the pastor simply praying so that God can speak to him. So that God can speak through them. It's talking about these two ministries within the church. There is the ministry of the word of God where the pastors are to bring leadership, direction, and vision. But there's also the ministry of the prayer of the saints, the fellowship of the body crying out to God in prayer. It's interesting what he doesn't mention here. He didn't say we will devote ourselves to the mission. Let me tell you why. Because mission happens out of the overflow of intimacy with God. And what God mentions are the two ways that the church communicates with God, the two ways the church enjoys the presence of God, the two ways the church communicates with God is through the vehicle of being a church that prays and a church that hungers for the truth of God. And it's almost as if he's saying this. The mission of God, the train of God's mission runs on two train tracks. The prayer of the church and the ministry of the word within the church. And if either of those get off track, we get off track on the mission. In the North American context, we spend all of our time in this verse emphasizing the truth of God's word. But let me tell you what we have in North America. We have truth without power. We have more books, conferences, theologians on the North American context than we've ever had. And yet we're one of the few continents in the world where the gospel's on decline. Let me tell you why. We've got truth without power. We focus on the ministry of the word without the ministry of prayer. 
And he said there are two tracks of this that must be laid. We must be a people who pray, who seek the face of God, who beg God to move, who beg God to do what he said he was going to do, who ask, who seek, who knock, and who do not stop. And at the same time, simultaneously, we are devoting ourselves to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And when we do that, let me tell you what happens. The mission of God gets accomplished through our lives. Prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostle said, hey, it's not good for us. The word they use here in verse 2 is it's not desirable. It's a word that means to please. Here's what they said. When we're doing all this stuff that's not about leading people to pray in the ministry of the word, he says, we're not pleasing the Father. No wonder the enemy... Send so many distractions to get the church off the focus of prayer and the Word. Now note this. All churches have problems. Hear me say that. If you've come to hope because you think we don't have any, surprise. We do, okay? All churches have problems. What separates healthy churches from unhealthy churches is how they respond to problems when they arise. So that's the second question I want us to look at. How did they respond to what was happening in the church? Here's what was happening. They were growing. They were experiencing growing pains. So how did they respond? Well, let me tell you four things they did not do. And I'm going to give you these in four words. So maybe you can remember them with the words, but... I'm going to unpack them a little bit. Number one, they did not retreat. They didn't retreat back to the upper room and talk about how sweet it was when there was just 120 of us. Do you remember? Do you remember how sweet our little church used to be? They didn't retreat. How many times do you hear that in the church? Oh, you remember when our church was just a sweet little fellowship where we all knew each other? You could stop by anytime you wanted to and find anybody you wanted to. It was just such a sweet... They didn't do that. They didn't retreat. Let me tell you what else they didn't do. They didn't refuse. Refuse what? Refuse to grow anymore. I've heard this said in the church. Not necessarily... I've just heard it in the church at large. Our church is just too big. You know what's funny? I've heard people leave our church, say it's too big, and other people join our church from another church, say the church I'm leaving is too big. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Where do you draw that line? You know what's interesting? Anybody who raises that complaint always draws the line somewhere behind the day they got in. (laughs) When you came, it was great. But now that you're in, the line ought to be somewhere. I don't know where it is, Pastor, but it's somewhere behind the day I got in. Somewhere after I got here, it got too big. Let me tell you the third thing they didn't do. They didn't remove. What do you mean? They didn't remove themselves from the fellowship to find another church that could meet their needs better. You see, church is not a gym membership that you go search out another one that has better equipment. 
It's us. We are the church. They didn't remain. Let me tell you the last thing they did. They didn't remain. They didn't remain where they were and do nothing. They didn't just ignore it. Here's what they did. They responded. And let me just quickly tell you some things they did. Number one, they united together. Look what it says in verse number two. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. The word summoned means to call together. It's this idea of them coming together. Instead, I love this. Instead of allowing the problem to divide them, they used it as an opportunity to unite them. That is the mark of a healthy church. A healthy church, when problems arise, rather than allowing it to divide us, we say, you know what? God put us here. God put us together. God's gifted us. We've got everything we need to get past this. Let's come together, figure it out, and move forward. That's what they did. They united together. I love the way Paul said it in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And let me just say this, it began with the leadership acknowledging the problem with transparency. I mean, the apostles could have taken a personal offense at this. What do you mean people's needs aren't getting being met? Don't you know Jesus trained us? You're never going to get another pastor that got trained by Jesus. The, the apostles could have tried to hide it and say, hey, just don't tell nobody. They could have tried to cover it up. Well, what they do? They got together and said, hey, we got a problem. Some people are getting overlooked and we're overwhelmed. We need to figure out a way before the Lord how to fix this. So that's the second thing they did. They communicated to identify the problem. Then they sought the Lord's direction for the answer to the problem. The Bible tells us in verse 6 that they, before they set these men apart, they prayed over them. When they did that, God gave them a plan. God gave them a plan to meet this challenge, and it's where deacons were born. And the plan really was two steps. It was they identified those within the body who were gifted to serve in this way. And we're going to talk about this next weekend. This weekend, we're talking about what is a deacon. Next weekend, we're going to talk about what a deacon is. We're going to look at the, the character qualities that they were looking for in this fellowship to set these people apart. It's in Acts chapter 6. They also explain it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be digging into both of those next weekend and unpacking how you identify who is gifted to serve in this way. In this text, he talked about their witness and their walk. They're to be of good reputation meaning that others are to look at them and say about them, hey, I see it, and they're to have a walk. They're full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Others in the fellowship are to see them as men and women who walk with God, who are filled with the Spirit of God, who have the gifting to meet these needs in the fellowship. So they identified them, and then they, they set them apart to serve. The Bible says in Acts 6, 6, that after they brought them before the apostles, they prayed and laid their hands on them, and that's where deacons came from. So let me give you the definition again. Deacons are servants set apart to meet needs within the body of Christ. You see it right here in the passage. There was a need in a growing fellowship. So in the wisdom of God and the sovereignty of God, they looked for people that were gifted and had the skill set and the spiritual gifting and the character. They set them apart to meet that need and they laid hands on them and they loosed them to meet needs within the body of Christ. They were servants set apart. To meet needs within the body. That's what deacons were. So you ask this question. Why are we talking about this at Hope Church today? 
Let me tell you why. We're a growing church. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Shame on us if we live in a city with 92% lostness and we're not reaching lost people and seeing them come to know Christ. The problem's not that we are. The problem would be if we weren't growing. Something's wrong. I mean, we're fishing in a stock pond. Only country folks know what that even means. If you're city-fied, just ask me later. I don't have time now. I'll explain it to you. We're a growing church. Our last membership class, our, our dinner with the pastors, largest one in the history of our church, over 250 people attended our last dinner with the pastors. This, this year, this year we've baptized 274 people that are new followers of Jesus Christ. Largest baptism year we've had in the history of our church. We're a growing fellowship. God is blessing us, and we are grateful for that, but we're also experiencing growing pain. As the church grows, people get overlooked, pastors get overwhelmed. We're seeing both of those things happen. There are more needs to meet than we can meet them. And for that reason, after much prayer with our staff team, our stewardship team, leaders in our church that we've talked to, we feel led that it is time for us to identify and set apart deacons in our church that can meet some very specific needs. Now, somebody may think, wait a minute, we're 14 years old. We don't have deacons yet. How is that possible? Well, here's how it's possible. Biblically, I believe deacons arose out of a sense of need. Deacons do not, are not set apart to complete the organization of a church. Deacons are set apart to meet needs within a church. And to this point, we've been able to, with small group leaders and small groups and effective connection, meet most of the needs within our fellowship. But we just realize now we're at a place where it's time God put this in his word for a reason. And to be completely transparent, God had to do a work in my heart because I've got the t-shirt from a bad experience. And so I had to just let the Lord bring me to the place where I understood the biblical reality and principle and soften my heart to be ready to, to implement some of these things. But let me give you four specific areas that we've identified that we're going to set apart deacons. And here's what I hope you hear in this. I hope you hear in this that we care about people. And we want to help meet the needs that people have in our fellowship. So I'm going to give you four areas. And these are the areas why we're setting these deacons aside. Number one is what we're calling intensive care for those who are connected. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. We have small groups at Hope. And one of the things that small groups do is small groups meet the needs of people when they're walking through everyday life situations. But we're calling that, for lack of a better term, family care. The regular routine of care that happens through small groups is going to continue to happen, and this has nothing to do with that. The care ministry of hope... 90% of it is done through small groups, which means this. If you're not in a small group, there's a very good likelihood you will get overlooked. That's why we encourage every person in our fellowship to get connected in a small group. We're not a church with groups. We are a church of groups. But there are intensive care situations that are just too big for a small group by themselves to walk through. Typically, that's where at Hope, pastors have gotten involved. 
what we're saying is we've gotten to a size now with so many people that the needs are just too great. We all have family care doctors that we go to for regular routine illnesses, checkups, shots. But there's sometimes when our doctor says, you know what, this is bigger than my scope. We're going to get you over there to the unit. We're going to get you to the hospital. We're going to get you to somewhere where they can do some intensive care. That's what we're talking about. The regular family care is going to happen through our groups. But there are intensive care situations where we're going to set aside some deacons who can come alongside small groups and walk with families for an extended period of time so that we're not overlooking those serious needs in our fellowship. Intensive care for the connected. Here's the second area. Care and connection for the disconnected. There's some people in our church that aren't in a small group yet. Now, hear me clearly. We're not starting a ministry of deacons so that we can provide a network of care so that people don't have to get in a group, all right? That's not what we're saying. This is care and connection. The deacons would come alongside that person that's disconnected. They're not in a group yet. They'd begin to walk with them in care. But the goal of that care is to then lead them into connection in a small group so that there's some people around them that can walk with them in the ongoing rhythm of family care. I probably hear this one more than anything else. Somebody that's not in a group, they're new to our fellowship, they go through something, they get their feelings hurt because they got overlooked because there's just not enough bandwidth to meet all of those needs. So that's another thing deacons will do, care and connection for the disconnected. Here's the third area, care for widows. The Bible teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that there is to be given special priority to the care of widows in a fellowship. And at Hope, we've done as good as we can with this, but it's nowhere where it should be to be acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. And we want to care for the widows in our fellowship. And so there will be deacons that will come alongside widows in our church and minister to them and meet them, again, along with their small groups, but just to provide an extra layer of care. Here's the fourth area. It's what we're calling bereavement care. When somebody goes through the death of a loved one, we want to have deacons that will come along with that small group. But listen, when you, when you experience the death of a loved one, there's just an extra level of training and care that we want to be able to, we want to be a resource to people that are walking through that so that they don't walk through it by themselves. So that as a family of faith, we are loving people and caring for people as they walk through. So look at those four areas. Intensive care for those who are connected. Care and connection for the disconnected. Care for widows and bereavement care. We are, as a church, going to set aside deacons for that. That's our serving tables in Acts chapter 6. Now, in time, is there a possibility we may add to that list? Yes, but for now, that's where we feel led to set some men and women apart who can serve in this function in our fellowship to meet those needs. Let me try to help illustrate it. All healthy human beings have white blood cells. All healthy human beings have white blood cells. Now, white blood cells only make up about 1% of your blood. 99% of your blood something else. But 1% of your blood, if you're healthy, is made up of white blood cells. And their impact, although they're small, is very significant. You see, they flow through your bloodstream to eat up viruses, bacteria, and other foreign invaders before they threaten your health. 
It's what a white blood cell does. Listen to this quote by the University of Rochester Medical Center about white blood cells. Look at this on the screen. When your body is in distress and a particular area is under attack, white blood cells rush in to help destroy the harmful substance and prevent illness. Deacons are white blood cells. Deacons are white blood cells in the body of Christ who exist to find those areas where there's somebody who's been hurt, they've been overlooked, they've been neglected, and before it can even surface and become a problem, before that offense even takes, before it begins to spread and infect the body, the deacons are rushing in like white blood cells. They're eating that up so that the body of Christ can be healthy and whole in accomplishing the mission of God. Deacons are white blood cells. So what we're going to do is we're going to add some white blood cells to our body here at Hope to help eat up disease and bacteria before it can cause us to be... Why is this important? Because if you're not healthy, you can't accomplish the mission. You can't function in the mission unless we're healthy. And that's the last question I'll ask and answer, and we're finished. So what was the impact of this decision in the early church? Look at verse 7 again. Look at it on the screen. The word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And listen to this. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient. Here's what happened. The message of the gospel spread and the mission of the gospel continued to be accomplished. They realized what was going on. They did some things to respond to it. They followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the mission kept on trucking. That's what we're doing here at Hope. We're starting this. We're launching this in obedience to the Word of God, in response to the Holy Spirit, after much prayer about where we are as a growing fellowship, with needs being met, and making sure we're focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. Now, next weekend... We're going to talk more specifically about how we're going to get them. Where do they come from? And don't miss it, all right? Because you're going to play a huge part in where deacons, how we find them, okay? We're not going to sit in an office and figure this out. You're going to play a huge part in how we... You hear what they said? They said to the people, hey, you select from among you. We're going to, we're going to ask you to do that. We're going to spell that out next weekend. So don't miss it. And we're going to talk about who you're looking for. What a deacon is. We're going to talk about the character of these men and women of God. All right? So don't miss that. Don't miss next weekend. And here's what I can't wait to read. I can't wait to read our verse 7. What we see God continue to do as a result of our obedience to His Word and His Spirit and following His leadership.